Hello, Regeneration. Uh, welcome back to our Ephesians study and hope that the Advent season was really meaningful uh, for you, your family, your household, even in this really strange year. Uh, this is our last sermon for 2020, and as we go back into our study of Ephesians, heading into chapter 2, coming out of Advent, I hope we're able to see the goodness of God a lot more clearly. The year has been out of the ordinary. Uh, as we reflect back on 2020, it has been odd in many ways. And if we would remember back to how chapter 1 ended, and that that same God in, for the Ephesian church is the same God that we have at the end of 2020. So let's first go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and let's look at verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is really, really good news. And chapter 1 ends really positively. But as we head into the first few verses of chapter 2, it's not going to be so positive. And it's not to say that 2021 is going to be worse. I'm just pointing out the rhythm of Paul's letter here. Paul will be pointing out our condition prior to salvation in chapter 2. In chapter 1, we're shown the amazing grace of God who gives us the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then Paul points out our true condition without Jesus in chapter 2, which further points to the amazing grace of God we read about in chapter 1. Now, it's really important for us to tie those last verses of chapter 1 to what we're looking at today in chapter 2. Now after verse 3, it, it will be more positive, but, but in order to tie these things into context, let's, let's look back to chapter 1 before looking at chapter 2, and starting in verse 18 in chapter 1. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the, the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That phrase there, the immeasurable greatness of his power mentioned in chapter 1, is the power that saved the Ephesian believers from their spiritual death, and it's the same power that saves us today from our spiritual death. This spiritual death is what our verses in chapter 2 this morning speak of how each one of us was before Jesus saved us and gave us spiritual life. That the same immeasurable greatness of his power to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that gives us who are spiritually dead spiritual life. And whether it's people 2,000 years ago in Paul's day or people today, we were all dead in our sins. We all walked in disobedience and lived according to our flesh. And so let's look at today's verses, chapter 2. Let's just read the first three verses 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is all of humanity. And it's not a happy way to close 2020. But it does give us a reality check, an honest diagnosis of who we were if you are in Christ. And if you are not in Christ, this is a reality check, a, a, a honest diagnosis of who you currently are. With this diagnosis, there, there are two ways to look at it, whether it is true or false. Do you believe it or you don't believe it? If you believe it to be true, you have a good prognosis because you can go to Christ for healing. And if you don't believe this, if you believe this to be false, you have a poor prognosis because the only way you'll be healed of this spiritual death you won't be willing to go to Jesus for spiritual life. This is what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. People need to recognize that the world's problems aren't going to be resolved through education, legislation, or any other ideological indoctrination. The, the only way we will resolve the world's problems are through resurrection. Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection of once being dead in our trespasses and sin to one of spiritual life with Christ. Everyone dies physically. There, there are no exceptions to this. But we all don't have to die spiritually. With Christ, we live. Without Christ, we remain dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We were all dead without Christ. Let's turn to John chapter 3, where Jesus said, starting in verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now you notice in verse 15, that that is in the present tense. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And the same tense is found in verse 36 where it reads, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
Sin separates us from God. God who created us. But by our nature, we, we continue to walk separately away from God. And many are spiritually dead, even though they are physically alive. And we continue to work. We continue to do activities. We, we continue to argue about what is good and what is not good, even if not everyone has a relationship with Jesus. That many still remain blind, many still remain deaf to Jesus, and they are spiritually dead, even though physically alive. And only God can raise and awaken the spiritually dead. Education cannot do that. Legislation cannot do that. They cannot raise the dead. Resurrection is only by God. And yet, many continue to walk the path of death that they're on. In verse 2, it says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There are people who believe that all roads lead to the same place, and we all know that this is not true. Look around us. It is illogical to think that way. It is unreasonable to believe that. Not every road leads to the same place we're going. That's why we have compasses. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Just because a lot of people believe something to be true does not mean that it is. We are all spiritually dead until we believe in Christ. And until we follow Christ, we are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Evil is very active in our world. And if there is any doubt about this, I think 2020 made it very evident that it's all over the world. And especially to those of us who are spiritually awakened and aware, this is so obvious to us. There are so many signs of death and darkness and chaos around us. So many signs of disobedience. This is where the good news of the gospel comes in. To bring life to death. To bring light to darkness. But it's really difficult to share with dead people that they're dead. To share with people in darkness that there is a way out. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our human nature, body and mind, is damaged by sin. And it helps to explain why there's so much pushback as to, why, uh, as to what the Bible says 
about morality and how we are to live. See, our diagnosis is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, all of us. And until we are spiritually awakened, we're following the world. We're following darkness. We're living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. We're, we're doing what the disease of sin dictates to our body and our mind. And the prognosis to this is death. The wrath of God is the prognosis unless we're saved by Jesus Christ. We are enslaved to sin, and sin condemns us to death and to suffer the wrath of God. The wrath of God is God's response to evil, where absolute holiness judges evil. And it is because God is love that God is opposed to evil. God is not indifferent to evil. His holiness is an indication of his love. When we see injustice, it causes us to respond. We're not indifferent to injustice, and neither is God. The cross of Christ is an indication of God's love. God places his wrath on Jesus Christ, who takes on sin upon himself, and the love of God is expressed in God's wrath against evil. The wrath of God reminds us of the wonder of the love of God, and all a believer has to do is look at Jesus Christ on the cross for that. Continuing on in verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. People tend to not want to look to Jesus for the remedy of the world's evils, of the world's problems. People want to look to almost anything else. They want to look to so many other places to solve the world's evils. And, and the, the most popular places to look for or look at for the world is when people throw out education and they throw out legislation. And as we're living through this time of COVID, you hear a lot about vaccination, medication. And we are the most educated, legislative, medicated, vaccinated people on the history of the planet. There's, there's no one that has existed on this planet that has been more educated, more legislative, and more medicated, but we are not any closer to goodness. Yet we keep looking to ourselves to, to solve these problems because that's what dead people do. Spiritually dead people look to themselves because the sin blinds them to be able to look to God and only God can bring to life what is dead. So what did God do about this? And, and why did God do something about this? And so the first thing God did was God made us alive together with Christ. This is what God did. You see, God doesn't promise to better our circumstances. He doesn't promise us happiness. 
Because the truth of the matter is that for some believers, life gets worse after they believe in Christ. When we share what God does, you can speak on a personal level if things have gotten better for you and, and you're happier now or things happen to be really positive. But that's not a universal truth. And that is not a promise from God. That can be your personal testimony, but that doesn't happen to every believer in Christ. What every believer can testify is that they were made alive together in Christ. We can all testify that. We are to set our mind on the spirit and not on the things of the flesh. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Yet how often are we caught up in our flesh? How often are we focused on our natural state and not our spiritual state? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Worldly people... They get really frustrated at Christians, at believers, because they look at the answer we have as foolishness. It is looked upon as folly. They want us to focus on other things. Education, legislation, medication. Which, by the way, Christians do. If you look at the first schools that were first erected, if you look at the, the government and the revolution against the government for freedom of religion, if you look at the first hospitals that were erected, it's not that Christians are against those things or believers are against those things. It's just that we know that the ultimate answer is not in those things. It is in resurrection. That the answer to the world's evils is resurrection. But this is the answer of foolishness, of folly to the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where does the cross, where does the resurrection sit with you? Is it your ultimate answer? Or is it folly? Is it the power of God or is it foolishness? In Luke 15, we're given these three parables from Jesus, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And there is rejoicing in finding the lost sheep, in finding the lost coin, in finding the lost son. There is rejoicing in one sinner who repents. And you notice it's one out of many sheep. It's one out of many coins. It's one out of many people. And many will think that the word of, uh, word of God, uh, the word of the cross, is, is foolishness. Many will go through that wide gate. But few are saved. It's one sheep that is found. It is one coin that is found. It is one son that is found. Few go through the narrow gate. And all of us 
were dead in our trespasses and sin, and a few will believe in Jesus Christ to be made alive together with Christ. There is nothing else. There is no one else that can save us from perishing, from darkness, from evil, from death. No one. Nothing. Only Jesus Christ. What else did God do? Verse 6. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now notice that what God did is in the past tense. Made, raised, seated. Now why? Because it was already done. Jesus already did that. Jesus made all of this possible when he died on the cross, resurrected, raised from the grave, and, and ascended to, the, the, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is what is pictured in baptism, in water baptism, that what we have done is we are dying to sin when we go down into the water, and when we are raised from the water, we are resurrected, we are raised to be set free from sin through Christ, that we have a place with Christ in the heavenlies. What are the heavenlies? The heavenlies are the unseen realms of spiritual reality. That's what the heavenlies are. And if you believe Christ to set you free from sin, you need to be baptized. It's a call of obedience. It's a public declaration of your faith. And if you need to be baptized, please get in touch with our church. Email us, call us, leave us a voicemail, and, and we can help arrange that for you. It's been wonderful. It's been glorious to have a half dozen or so baptisms in the last couple months. It's been wonderful. So please be in touch with us if you haven't done this yet. Okay. So we have what God did. Now, why did God do it? And we have to go back to verse 4 for this. And it's, this is the reason why. Because God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is why. It's because of who God is. God's richness in mercy is based on God's great love. Love moves God's mercy. But there's no need for mercy if there isn't a problem, if there isn't a dilemma. And this is why Paul points out that we were dead in our trespasses, that we were enslaved to sin, that we were condemned to death by it. And, and it reads, but God being rich in mercy, that God intervened, that God initiated salvation, that we couldn't do anything on our own. We are the ones in need of mercy, and God purposed to display his love through his mercy. And that's what God did, and this is why. And so how are we as a church to respond to what God did and why he did it? Um, we're going to jump ahead a chapter to take a look. Chapter 3, verse 10 in Ephesians. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There are people, Christians included, who have all sorts of ideas as to what the church should be. But here in Ephesians, we have what God did and why God did it. And it's so that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God, namely the victory over death, the freedom over sin's bondage over us, the gracious gift of salvation, the life in light, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, namely the the forces of evil, the forces of darkness in the heavenly places. As Paul wrote in verse 1, we were all dead. We're all dead. We're all enslaved to sin. We're all in bondage to sin. But Jesus set us free, and he raised us to life. And the church doesn't get this good news out. If the church doesn't get this particular good news out, we're not the church. We're not being the church. We can call it something else. We can call it philanthropy. We can call it humanitarianism. We can call it whatever we want to call it, charity work. But don't call it the church if the gospel of Jesus is not in it. Because Jesus is the answer to overcoming evil, darkness, death. It is by grace we are saved through faith. We'll be entering our last verses in this section, and there's a phrase Paul repeats twice there, and it reads, by grace you have been saved. They're found in verses 5 and 8. And it's an important emphasis in this section of Paul's letter, and, and a word to point out as we're coming to this last portion of today's scripture is the word walk. That's found in verses 2 and 10. It's important to recognize that it is by grace we have been saved and that our walk with Christ, our way of life with Christ, is reflected in the life that we live. We once walked, verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of, in the sons of disobedience. But the way we walk now is different. Verse 10, for... We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Things have changed from who we once were in verses 1 through 3 to who we are now in verses 7 through 10. We were once dead, in need of life, and you see that it's more than a person going from unhappy to happy. It's more than just going from unhealthy to healthy, directionless to purposeful, uneducated to educated, weak to strong. It is more than that. A life in Christ can move a person from all of those negative spaces to better ones. Yes, of course. But it's much more than that. It's that we're all dead. And we all need life. And all those other things mentioned before make no difference if you're still dead. Only God in the immeasurable greatness of his power is able to raise the dead. As God proved by raising Jesus from the dead. And how he has proven over and over again in raising those who were once dead, namely you and me, from death to life. God is also showing this immeasurable grace well into the future as he continues to do this. Now there's a third reason why God did what he did. We already looked at God being rich in mercy and great in love in verse 4, and then the immeasurable 
riches of his grace is a third reason why. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We were made alive together with Christ. God did that. Raised up with him, seated with him. God did those three things. What did God do? He did those things. He made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him, and seated us with him. We were made to have relationship, communion with God, even though some don't want this. Many choose to be alienated from God, separated from God. And yet God still cares to have a relationship with those people which is why he sent Jesus to reconcile sinners to himself. See, Jesus didn't simply come to tell us what we needed to do and tell us what we needed to do. Jesus did it himself. He did what was necessary to save us and to reconcile us to God so that we can have communion with God. We were given grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And God did what he did because he's a gracious God. We did not earn that. And he is acting upon his holiness and he's acting upon this holy will of his in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now note the phrase in Christ Jesus in verses 6, 7, and 10. Everything done for us in Christ Jesus is meaningless to the person who remains outside of Christ Jesus. You have to enter in Christ Jesus by faith and trust in what God has done for you. It's the kindness of the Lord that will lead you to repentance. Has this happened for you? Have you repented? Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? How much longer will you harden your heart toward God? How many more times will you ignore the voice of God? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, it reads, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Everyone will see God's love, grace, kindness, mercy. Some will miss out, but everyone will see it. Where are you with this today? Let's look at the last several verses, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace is a gift from God. Christmas has just passed and many of you received gifts. And many times it's not anything that you deserved or earned, it's a gift, something that was given out of love. And with salvation, that gift of salvation, it's not because of what we did. It's salvation is a gracious gift from God. And, and faith is our response to that gift. And don't get confused in that faith is not our 
contribution to a transaction because we don't contribute to this gift of salvation. Faith is our response. We are totally dependent on God because we were spiritually dead. Salvation isn't something that we can achieve and it's not something that we can earn. Otherwise, it'll be something that we can boast about which the scriptures say that we cannot. You see that our life is dependent on the grace of God. The good works worked out in our life is the evidence of God's grace in our life. Are we amazed by the grace of God in our life? I have a question for those of you who are still running from God today. Do you know that you are dead in your trespasses and sins? Verse 1. But then verse 2 is so glorious, those two words. But God. But God. He has great love for you. He has rich mercy towards you. He wants to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. And so I plead with you as this year ends. Don't harden your heart towards God. Open your heart towards God to be filled with his mercy, love, and grace for you. Confess your sins today and believe that Christ set you free from sin. And if you have any questions about this, please get in contact with us and we'd love to talk you through this. We'd love to be able to gift you with a Bible and pray with you. Let's pray. Lord, 2020 has been an odd year for us. But you are the same God. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Still full of grace, mercy, love, kindness. And Lord, I especially pray for those who don't have a relationship with you, that they would hear your voice clearly and they would be able to open their heart toward you, that they would receive you today, Lord, as their Lord and Savior, that they would reach out to us so that we can pray for them, equip them, help them. And Lord, I also want to lift up those who are having a really challenging time during this time of COVID where we've had to essentially shelter in place for nine, 10 months. Lord, I ask that you would be with their mental health as well as their physical health. That you would surround them with your presence, that they would sense that in a very visceral way. Lord, Advent just passed. We celebrated your first coming. We eagerly await your second coming. Have your church be ready for your second coming, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, let's bring that out. And let's first take the cracker symbolizing the body of Christ. We were instructed by Jesus to do this sacrament until he returns. I really appreciate that we get to do this every week as it is a weekly reminder. 
for us to be awake, to be aware, and to constantly be reminded by the love of God, the grace of God, this gift of grace. Not that it is in this element directly, but this is a symbol of the grace and love of God. And so let us take this together. And we have the element of the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us. That he took the wrath of sin upon himself and paid with his life. And so we take this in remembrance of Christ and what he did for us and that he is preparing a place for us until we meet again. We take this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful sacrament of communion. We are eagerly awaiting your return, Lord, as resurrection is the ultimate answer to the evils, the unrighteousness, the chaos, the war of this world. Come, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.